Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. When you look through the annals of history, you look at the books that have been written about leaders and leadership. When you read, when you revisit, when you understand, when you comprehend, who are some of the names that spring to the forefront as people who did great things with the life they were given, the chances they took, the choices they made, and whether they were endeared or whether people gave scorn to them. Some of the names that would jump out are Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, Mahatma Gandhi, the architect of the only bloodless revolution of the 20th century, Mother Teresa and her work with the poor and the impoverished in Calcutta, Nelson Mandela and his fight for the ending of apartheid in South Africa, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and his campaign for civil rights in the United States. Some went on to receive the Nobel Prize. Others just dotted the landscape and eventually made their mark. Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation is one of lore. C. Thomas Hilton, the historian, and I paraphrase, says that when he made that decision, brother was pitted against brother and a country broke into civil war. Yet that unpopular decision at the time it was made has ridden through our time on a horse of reason and will go down in history as one of the popular decisions ever made by anyone that liberated man. Mahatma Gandhi had gone to the West to study for law, eventually ended up in South Africa, started the Tolstoy ashram there, and began to realize the plight of a people. Came to India in 1916, and by 1947, yet a short 31 years later, brought to an end 200 years of a colonial empire. The crown jewel of the British Raj was India, and suddenly India had gained its liberation. And Gandhi has purported to have said, that what he fought for was something so indigenous and something so personal that he donned the clothes of the people of India. He gave up all of his Western identity, spun his own cloth, had huge bonfires that would rebel against the cotton that was coming in from the mills of Liverpool. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison before he saw the freedom he fought for. Dr. Martin Luther King found the assassin's bullet at the end of his campaign but before that, he had unleashed on the world his concept of a dream that saw such radical and monumental change. Mother Teresa, even in the very end, said, the poor do not need your pity, they need your respect. So while I look at the leaders and their journeys, I wanted to take you down this path of are you living to be liked or are you living to be respected? There are some components that go into making yourself a voice that is legendary, a voice that would be heard, and one that would stand the test of time. Now, in order to be popular, sometimes you actually have to be unpopular. In order to be respected, sometimes you have to be disliked. 
in my early motivational speaking days coming up through the ranks, I wanted to be this contrarian communicator. I wanted to speak in a way that was opposite to the perception people had of me. I used some language and some humor that was contradicting some of the expected motifs of that time. I remember early in my sales career, I would go into places and they would pander to me. I would talk about something and they would say, oh, your accent is quite quaint. It is quite cute. I like the way you pronounce those words. Is that how they say it in India? At the end of that transaction, all I had was platitudes and I got back into my car and amidst tears, I wondered why I was not closing the sale, how I would have to hang my head in shame at the sales meeting when everybody else was succeeding at a product that was supposedly selling itself. And yet I was not making any headway till I heard that possibly these guys were just being politically correct with me. They were treating me in a way that would make me feel that I was being liked. But I was not being respected because what I was being, what I was offering was not being accepted. My value proposition was not taken as a value proposition. I was being pandered to. When people walked up to me and said, I like your accent, I thought, oh, at least I'm being understood. No, what they were saying was, I like the way you say stuff, but I don't like it enough to buy from you. In challenging my assumptions, I, was, uh, I stumbled across the recording and the recording said, record yourself, you are your own worst critic. And when I went through the recording, I was asked to pause every time someone said, excuse me, can you say that again? I didn't quite understand you, I didn't quite get it. That's criticism. But what about the praise, the unending praise that said, oh, your accent is quaint, it's cute. Is that the way you pronounce stuff where you're from? And suddenly I realized that here I was caught in the middle being liked, but not being respected. I'm going to give you a set of principles here that will take you from one end of the spectrum to the other. Ask yourself, are you participating in something that you have no business participating in just because you want to be liked? And if that's the case, let's look at some of the major monolithic organizations of our time. In fact, there's one major organization that is in the footwear making business and all kinds of apparel. And they have shops overseas where they pay people a pittance compared to what they sell their finished product for here in the West. The answer is true. You can make your product somewhere else in the world and you say, you know what? I'm paying them a fair wage based on what they are supposed to receive there. But the way those people are treated is culturally something you cannot understand. It's demographically something you have never participated in. It's geographically in a part of the world that you have never been in. Then you take that finished product and come back here and through some way of modern marketing, you appeal to a certain class of people. You use athletes to endorse your product. And as a result, you're selling it for a couple of hundred dollars over here, convincing the people they buy it that because the athlete who endorses it, the person who wears those shoes will able to jump so high, throw so far, or hit so hard. All of this in the name of marketing, but just look at the broader context of that. On one side of there, you're subjugating people to a life of minimalism. On the other side of it, you're trying to use the same profits from that to tell people, hey, you know what? I want to be liked. Which one is it? In my accent case, I had to finally realize that people who were wanting to like me would never respect me. So I had to change on my own. If you're going through this life trying to be liked, there's a group of people that will happily welcome you to their side. 
The difference between sympathy and empathy is when you are just doing something to be liked and you're sympathetic to another cause, you cross a line and now you take with them your burdens and you join their burdens and you've got two people with two burdens and there's no solution. The goal is always to be empathetic and to bring people who are hurting over to your side and show them that there is opportunity. The second thing that happens in this desire to be liked instead of being respected is to lower the playing field to the degree that now you're actually more demeaning to others. Again, I'll go back to my accent issue. When people say, hey, your accent is quaint, I like the way, what they are saying is, I am going to lower my standard of expectation and never expect you to change. Accents have never been uh, genetic, they've always been geographic. And I quickly realized that if I needed to change, I didn't need to get an accent that would be impressive. I needed to get an accent that could have an impact, which means I needed to sell something, be understood enough so my value proposition would be accepted so that I could make the sale, I could earn the commission, and I could feed my family. My goal was not to conform to a new geography by trying to pretend to be someone. I just needed to have words in my lexicon that would be understood in everyday commerce. Yesterday, I was troubled to read that one major university has decided that they would take the correct use of English grammar as prejudicial and would actually tell entire groups of people who were learning this new language or trying to understand a language that was not native to their own and actually demean them by saying, listen, we're going to lower the standards because in our mind, we believe that by having a standard, somehow we are demoralizing to you. So we won't give you an opportunity to elevate yourself to speak correctly. Instead, what we would do is we would lower the playing field. You know how insulting that is? To someone like me, if you came to me and said, hey, you grew up in a different part of the world, you had a different language as, your, as the language of your birth, you went to schools over there, but that was the English and the British influence, with your accent and your geography and the way you pronounce words and some of the cultural nuances, we think you have a finished package. In order for you to be effective in another geographical area, we think you may struggle. So what we're going to do is we're going to lower the standard. Throughout the history of humanity, if you ask the likes of Nelson Mandela or you ask the likes of Mahatma Gandhi or you ask Mother Teresa, they would say, you know what? We need equality in this world, but it has to be preceded by fairness. In fairness, people say, let me play the game. Don't change the rules, just let me play the game. Let me have the skill, play the game so I could win. In equality, what we are saying is, not only are we going to remove the boundaries, there will be no scoring system, the game is going to be redefined, and the game is whatever rules you want to make up. That sounds good at an altruistic level, but then how does people, how do people actually get ahead? How do people actually make it? I'm a first generation migrant to the West, and I chose to become a communicator. As a result of my identity and the way I look and the way I act and my cultural background, it would have been very easy for me to ask the entire world to accommodate what I was saying or actually try to win at a game that is effect that requires effectiveness, requires purpose. I still struggle with words. I still struggle with vocabulary. If you go through any of my recordings, you'll see that there are parts where there are hiccups because I so desperately want to say something that is alien to me, but that I'm making an effort. 
But that's the joy of it. The joy of it is listening to yourself over a 30-year period and saying, you know what? There was a time when people were just patting me on the back and saying, you know what? You did the best you could for someone who came from where you are. We understand all the things that go on in trying to come to another country. We understand all the struggles you have to go through in needing to be liked. So what we are going to do is we're going to lower the barrier so at least you can feel you belong. Versus the opposite of people now asking me, when did you make that change? How did you learn to communicate the way you do? How did you get this universal application? Can you teach me? Because I wanted to be effective. I just did not want to be constantly encouraged for the wrong reason. So sometimes we are changing the very way we are, hoping that we can experience something someone else is experiencing. Sometimes we see entire fields of play being leveled and lowered so that anybody can participate, but not everybody is going to win. And because of that, what we're going to say is there are going to be no winners and losers anymore. How would history have responded if all of the great changes in history did not have a finish line? If the goal was to only play the game and the Emancipation Proclamation never came about and Abraham Lincoln said, hey, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I gave it a shot. Or if Mahatma Gandhi said, I really don't care if India gets its independence, the fact that I look the part and act the part is all that actually makes the difference, which is the third component. We cannot walk a mile in anybody's shoes and try to convince ourselves that we are understanding what their experience is, whether it was just or unjust. I have said this often and I'll say it again. You will never be able to walk a mile in anyone's shoes if you want to be liked. If you want to be respected, take off their shoes, wash their feet with great humility. Look at the callous souls that have taken that person on the walk they have taken. When you cradle the feet, you will realize that that is servant leadership. That is the essence. So when Nelson Mandela is locked up for 27 years and he can see from that window what is actually going to be the world he hopes. When Mahatma Gandhi goes through those innumerable number of fasts and the descent of a nation, of course, he met his demise rather unceremoniously when four months after independence, he was shot on the way to a prayer meeting because people said, you gave away too much in this cause. Leadership is never a popular opinion. Leadership is never an opinion. Leadership is that charisma, that influence, that ability to make a decision. The question is always, are you doing this to be liked or are you doing this to be respected? Mother Teresa said in her Nobel Prize winning speech, don't pity the poor, respect them. Martin Luther King, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King throughout his journey went to India, studied the nonviolent approaches of Mahatma Gandhi and brought the word character into the lexicon in his speech of dreams. Folks, if you want to be liked, sometimes we have to abandon our identity because we are afraid that our origins and our identity causes consternation. Sometimes we pander to the cause of the moment by crossing the line just to the degree of being sympathetic and not empathetic. And sometimes we lower entire bars of opportunity and demean people. I speak from experience. The greatest disservice that has ever been done to me is when people patronized me and said, I like what you say. You're very cute in the way you say it. I love the little sing-song nature of your communication but I had no impact. 
till somebody looked me in the face and said, if you give me permission to challenge every one of your assumptions, I will remove the scars of hopelessness and replace them with the stars of hope. The question is still the same. Are you going through life to be liked or are you growing through life to be respected? That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.